let them confuse you and trick you. They treat you like you're a business. And it's not business. It's personal. Injury. JohnStraussLaw.com Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> They call it Stormy Monday, but Tuesday's just as bad. They call it Stormy Monday, but Tuesday's just as bad. Wednesday's worse. And Thursday's also sad Yes, the eagle flies on Friday And Saturday I go out to play Eagle flies on Friday and Saturday I go out to play Sunday I go to Good morning, mutineers. You are tuned in to Labor and Love. Lucky you, lucky me. Good morning on a hot San Francisco Saturday. Welcome to our Labor Day special. But of course, as we all know, every day is Labor Day. Lord have mercy, my heart's in misery. Lord have mercy. 
taking bribes on the side. Working in a barber shop, may know how to cut hair. Maybe somebody's mistress, or maybe somebody's a by labor hero Joe Hill sung by Hazel Dickens
And good morning, mutineers. Welcome to the Labor and Love Show. This is the B, a.k.a. Bill Morgan, your host. Working the day shift with you. The morning shift on this hot, hot San Francisco day. Yesterday we broke uh, an all-time record in San Francisco. As the mercury reached... 107 degrees in downtown San Francisco. Boy, it's a good thing there's no such thing as global warming, huh? Then we would have uh, record heat. We would be having uh, huge floods and hurricanes here and in Bangladesh. We would be having huge chunks of ice falling into the ocean. Good thing there's no such thing as climate change. Good morning, everybody. Labor and Love Show. We're coming at you from Mutiny Radio at 2781 21st Street. And this is a show where we tell you like it is. Labor news, opinion, commentary, history. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, another person worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, at the negotiating table, that is, you're probably on the menu. And never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. Well, today's our Labor Day show. And um, this is A. Philip Randolph with a Labor Day speech. Now I give you A. Philip Randolph. The first condition of being worthy of help from others is for an individual, race or nation, to do something for itself. I consider the fight for the black masses to be the greatest service that I can render to my people. And the fight alone is my complete compensation. My name is A. Philip Randolph. The A stands for Acer. I was born April 15, 1889, in Crescent City, Florida. I am the youngest of two sons, and both my mother and father were the descendants of slaves. I began my political career in the socialist politics of the 1920s Harlem Renaissance. I have long fought for equal opportunity for black workers and for economic progress for all workers through trade unions regardless of race, color, nationality, sex, or political or religious beliefs. Not everyone agreed with the vision of racial progress through militant struggles for economic independence. In the tough stages of organizing the first march on Washington to integrate the country's defense industries in 1941, for instance, Arthur W. Mitchell, then a black representative of the U.S. Congress from Chicago, called me the most dangerous Negro in America. In 1925, I, along with Milton Webster and many other brothers and sisters across the United States, undaunted and unafraid, fired by the vision 
of better days of economic justice organized the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters in the sacred name of truth and righteousness against the Pullman Company's despotic company union known as the Employee Representation Plan, which is company organized, company owned, and company controlled. This was considered the first major effort to unionize the Pullman Company. In the eyes of some people, the effort to organize the Pullman Porters appeared to be too herculean. Yes, visionary. Down in Thomas's rushed forward to advise that it was impracticable, suicidal, folly, impossible. But our answer? We have organized. Yes, we have organized over 7,000 strong men in the Pullman service running on the road, built, supported, and maintained the organization, and made it possible for the Brotherhood to present the Porter's case. Despite the unlawful intimidation practiced by the company upon the Porters to compel them, the Porters, to act against their own interests, the Porters are standing strong and from meetings from coast to coast have resolutely signified their desire to push forward with their fight to secure labor rights, better working conditions, and manhood rights. Our goal is victory. We will win victory. The Pullman Company may delay us, but they cannot defeat us. Ours will be a victory for solidarity, a victory for truth, a victory for justice, a victory for courage, a victory for manhood, a victory for righteousness, a victory for the race. If white men have to organize to get more wages, then surely race men will have to organize to get more wages and better working conditions. Out of the miserable depths of indescribable economic wage pauperism, the Brotherhood of Pullman Porters, the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, is steadily raising the Pullman Porters and maids to a high plane of challenging and commanding power. The Brotherhood came with a definite industrial plan to provide succor and solace to the distracted, disheartened, disorganized, and despairing court. We struggled with the company for 12 long years. The Pullman Company was the most powerful business organization in the country and it viciously resisted every effort to unionize. We had many setbacks, but the Brotherhood prevailed. The Brotherhood's courageous battles won the admiration of many labor and liberal leaders. President Franklin D. Roosevelt's New Deal guaranteed workers the right to organize and required corporations to negotiate with unions. In 1935, the Pullman Company was forced to sit down with the Brotherhood. We moved to secure formal affiliation with the AFL and was finally granted an international charter. In 1937, the Brotherhood, which remained in the AFL, finally was given a contract from the Pullman Company, the first contract between a company and a black union.
1937 was the end of one struggle and the beginning of many others. From organizing for jobs on the home front during World War II, to the fight for desegregation of the armed forces, the defense industries, and government jobs, to the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in 1963, where I stood along with some of the other organizers of the March on Washington, Byron Rustman, Roy Wilkins, James Farmer, Whitney Young, John Lewis, and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and declared, fellow Americans, we are gathered here today in a large demonstration of the history of this nation. Let the nation and the world know the meaning of our numbers. We are not a pressure group. We are not an organization or a group of organizations. We are not a mob. We are the advance guard of a massive moral revolution for jobs and freedom. I thank you. Okay, that was uh, A. Philip Randolph talking about how uh, he and others, including uh, C.L. Dellums from Oakland, California, organized the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters in the 1920s and 30s. Randolph was a newspaper editor and fighter for workplace rights. In the 20s, he helped organize elevator operators and shipyard workers into unions. In the 19, later 1920s, 25, as he, as he mentioned, Randolph and others organized the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters. Um, a lot of this is chronicled in a movie called 10,000 Men Named George. In 1935, it was officially recognized as a union by the FLCIO and a powerful Pullman company which had never signed a labor contract with anyone. 1937 contract granted workers a pay increase and a shorter, a shorter work week and overtime pay. Randolph and other civil rights leaders threatened a march on Washington in 1941, which forced President Roosevelt to address racial discrimination in war-related jobs. And again, Randolph spoke at the Lincoln Memorial, the uh, I Have a Dream demonstration in 1963, the March on Washington for Jobs and Justice. Before that, we had Hazel Dickens of Mercer County, West Virginia, singing about the rebel girl. And uh, who is the rebel girl? Okay, the rebel girl was Elizabeth Gurley Flynn, an organizer for the IWW. Ultimately joined the Communist Party Flynn was born in 1890. By the time she was 17, she'd been expelled from high school for giving speeches about socialism <clears throat> and was already an organizer for the industrial workers of the world. In the next few years, she participated in labor campaigns 
with garment workers, miners, and textile workers. In Seattle, she once chained herself to a lamppost to delay her arrest. During her long career, she spoke out for the eight-hour day, safe working conditions, union recognition, birth control, and women's suffrage. She died while on a trip to the Soviet Union, and the song that we heard Hazel Dickens sing was The Rebel Girl, Joe Hill's song which is dedicated to Elizabeth Gurley Flynn. It's great to fight for freedom with a rebel girl. Okay, so this is our Labor Day show. Let's take a look and see what we got in store here. Hazel Dickens, who we already heard from, well known for her uh, musical support of uh, coal miners, non-union and union coal miners. Her own husband died of black lung. These dock workers, this showed the labor movement how to shut down fascists. Fight against fascism here in San Francisco. Thousands of Chicago workers joining the fight for $15. We've got radio labor, we've got labor radio. We're gonna hear from Mississippi John Hurt. We're going to talk about post-war America's greatest environmentalist who happened to be a labor leader, the nexus between labor and the environmental movement. Contract campaign from virtual to in their face on the Labor Notes site. What does Aaron Rodgers have to say about Colin Kaepernick? Hmm. We'll find out. We'll find that out too. Colin Kaepernick, as you know, is a, a football player who, because of his demonstration, his protest against racial injustice here in the United States, refused to stand for the national anthem, and he has ignited a movement all through pro football spilling over into other sports by athletes who refuse to stand and honor a flag which to them is hiding the ugly fact of racial injustice. I want you to hear this one. This is Abby Lincoln. Beautiful song. Throw it away. I live a figure made of clay And think about the things I lost The things I gave away And when I'm in a certain mood I search the halls and look 
One night I found these magic words in a magic book. Throw it away. You can throw it away. Give your love, live your life. Each and every day And keep your hand wide open And let the sun shine through Cause you can never lose a thing If it belongs to you There's a hand to rock the cradle And a hand to help us stand With a gentle kind of motion As it moves across the land And the hands unclenched and open Gifts of life and love it brings So keep your hand wide open If you're needing anything Possessing and belonging to 
acknowledging her name. So keep your hair wide open if you're needing love today. Cause you can't lose it even if you throw it all away.
might be catching feelings Once you see her face, her eyes you'll remember And she'll have you falling harder than a Sunday in September Whether in Savannah, Kansas, or in Atlanta She'll walk in any room, have you raising up your antennas She can fly you straight to the moon or to the ghettos Wearing tiny shoes or in flats or in stilettos Illuminating all that she touches on the sparrow A modern day drone of a arc of me a pharaoh Classy, sassy, put you in a razzle-dazzle Her magnetic energy will have you coming home like classy singing Ooh, shock it, break it, baby Electro, sophista, funky, lady We the kind of girls who ain't afraid to get down Electric ladies don't scream out loud Electric That was uh, Janelle Murray, Monet, and what I'm trying to do is get uh, get up when Janelle Mon Monet tells uh, Jimmy Fallon how she was fired. Uh, let's see. Well, we'll have to get on with that. Have to do that some other time. This is the Labor and Love Show. We just heard uh, Abby Lincoln with her beautiful song, Throw It Away. Abby Lincoln was born in Michigan in 1930. Uh, born in Chicago, but raised in Michigan. Uh, and you can certainly hear some Billie Holiday in there. Um, Her debut album, Abby Lincoln's Affair, The Story of a Girl in Love, was followed by a series of albums for Riverside's records. She was married to the great jazz drummer Max Roach 
and sang on Max Roach's landmark civil rights-themed recording, We Insist. Lincoln's lyrics were often connected to the civil rights movement in America. Uh, Abby Lincoln starred in an excellent independent movie that everyone should see uh, <clears throat> called Nothing But a Man with Ivan Dixon, who later came out on Hogan's Heroes. And what I, what I want to do right now is get Janelle Monet to talk about when she was fired. singing basically kind of got you fired from your job. Oh, yes. You yeah. can bring that up. Yes, I was working at Office Depot. Absolutely. That's our you time. Know, yep. Pushing ink and um, <laughs> pushing ink. Yeah. I was, I was living in a boarding house with six other girls. Wow. I couldn't afford my own apartment, selling CDs independently, and I didn't have a computer. I couldn't afford it. And no, so, so you go to Office, Office Depot, Depot uh, you guys have like 200 computers on display, and I used one to respond back to uh, a fan who had seen me perform on the library steps in the AUC. Shout out Morehouse, Spellman, Clark in Atlanta and- Wait, so you performed on, what did you say? Yes. The library step? Yes, Shibby. I used to perform on library stairs. I just love performing. So Not during for the money. day or night? When would you? During the day. Yeah. You know, that's where all the kids, you know, getting those refund checks. And uh, they just, <laughs> no, I never did it for money. Just I wanted to know was my material good enough. And so long story short, I responded back to someone was like, I loved you. I saw you on the library steps. I was one of three people. And um, you were <laughs> like, amazing. I know you. Yeah, you walked by me. <laughs> yeah, and so then this it's voice than of, other people, yeah. Yeah, this voice of God just came, Office Depot, Janelle <laughs> Robinson to the back. And I go back, and um, my boss said, listen, we're going to make this easy for you. You're fired. Yeah. Go do what you love. You don't want to be here. Yeah. And so I took my little. You can't hybrids. use office computers right, to you, respond to you. I should get off the you. microphone. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you can't use so, office computers. Yeah. It was just. It was this big crime. I guess I had committed that. I, but it, luckily, it led me to, to the stay focused. Thing. Yeah. Why stay not? focused you on what I love. Computers. Yeah. It's not like yeah. you're taking away from anyone else. Come on, man. That was Janelle Monet telling about uh, how she got fired from Office Depot for using a computer when uh, she couldn't afford one of her own. Janelle Monet, who <clears throat> has been one of the very strongest voices against the murders that happen uh, on the street when trigger-happy cops and fearful civilians interact. The cops got the guns. Okay, so this is our Labor Day show, and of course we know the story, a lot of, a lot of people know the story of Labor Day, how it ended up being the first Monday in September instead of May Day, which is Workers' Day all over the world. And for that, we have to go back to 1886 to the Homestead Haymarket Square, quote-unquote, riots in 1886. 
where um, eight people were arrested, eight labor organizers were arrested after a, a after a meeting about the eight-hour day, a speech, a demonstration demanding the eight-hour day turn violent. Tradition says that the cops threw a bomb into the crowd. It might have been one of the demonstrators. Police responded by shooting directly into the crowd, killing people, and um, eight men were arrested, the, the original Chicago Eight, were arrested. Several of them hadn't even been there. One of them who was arrested was Albert Parsons, a former Confederate soldier who <clears throat> married uh, an ex-slave named Lucy Parsons. And uh, they moved to Chicago, where Parsons joined the movement for an eight-hour day. He was one of those uh, arrested. Part Native American, African American, and Mexican, Parsons left Texas in 1871 and went to Chicago, where she joined the fight for the eight-hour day. After the famous demonstration in Haymarket Square, her husband was arrested and executed. Lucy became a leader in the movement for collective bargaining, the 40-hour week, equal pay for women, as well as the eight-hour day. And she said she became an organizer, speaker, who traveled all around the country supporting labor actions, feminist organizer. And she said the strike of the future is to remain in and take possession of the necessary, necessary property of production. She said this in the early 1910s. Ultimately, this is what happened, of course, <clears throat> in and around Detroit, Michigan in the late 30s. The sit-ins and one police, Chicago police, Department spokesman said that Lucy Parsons was more dangerous than a thousand rioters. Lucy Parsons. All right, let's listen to our um, weekly labor news. And uh, we're welcoming back. Today we're going to welcome back. Uh, Radio Labor. So let's hear what they've got to say. They've been a, on a hiatus. Let's see what they've got to say here. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor special report recorded on Friday, September 1st, 2017. I'm Mark Belanger. The Global Union, which represents food, farm, hotel and restaurant workers, the IUF, has been holding its International Congress in Geneva this week. The IUF represents some 2.5 million members in 130 countries. Outgoing General Secretary Ron Oswald opened the Congress with an overview of the situation for labor around the world. 
Our 27th Congress takes place at a time when the labour movement pretty much everywhere faces a political crisis as great as any in my lifetime and a general attack on political and workplace rights. In Latin America, the brutal oppression of human rights continues and grows again in countries like Honduras, Guatemala, and for example in rural Brazil. And very recently, we see rights under attack again in Brazil from a government determined to remove worker protections for millions in the name of corporate interests. And in Argentina, a chilling reminder of a dark past with the recent abduction and disappearance of San Diego Maldonado in the hands of the security forces who abducted him. In much of Asia, despite a welcome ray of hope in these five years past with the restoration of some democracy in Burma, now Myanmar, workers too often still confront an economic development model that serves the rich and denies the full access to rights, dignity and decent lives to its peoples. And now in Asia we face the previously unthinkable, a potential nuclear confrontation on the Korean Peninsula. In Africa, the daily fight for rights and the fight to build and defend real democracy goes on, as well as the daily fight for the right to food and nutrition that remains a scandal as more than one billion people in our world are denied both. In North Africa and the Middle East, we see stalled revolutions in a fight for democracy that is just beginning, an ongoing suffering as war dominates much of that region. In North America, we see a political process in the US that has collapsed into virtual farce and would be comical if it were not so serious for citizens of that country and also for so many of the rest of us. North of the border, Canada looks in comparison something of a paradise, at least in terms of more progressive social issues, though still economically on a path that principally serves the corporate purse and not the common interest. And comrades, in Europe, we see a construction that too often works against the interests of workers as employers exploit all the economic and financial benefits of a borderless Europe, whilst undermining the hopes that many held for a Europe with guaranteed social standards. This is a new time. This is a new time for sure, while we face new and horrifying challenges. But it could be a time of opportunity to rebuild our movement's hunger and enthusiasm for real progressive politics and for political debate and education in ways we have not seen for so many years. The more than 500 delegates who attended the IUF Congress in Geneva discussed a number of issues, including the effect technological change will have on secure employment. Sue Longley, the IUF's Deputy General Secretary, opened the session on precarious work. Quantitative issues, digitalization, robotics, and artificial intelligence, we know will combine to make many service and manufacturing jobs scarcer still. And it's really a stretch to believe that new jobs created will either qualitatively or quantitatively compensate society for the jobs that will be lost. 
As a result, the issue of how society will handle the growing gap between jobs available and those needing jobs and able to work is now preoccupying increasing numbers of peoples and organizations. This in large part explains the growing debate around some form of universal basic income. Universal basic income providing income to all in society, whether in waged work or not, is becoming a mainstream discussion. Ten years ago it would have been unheard of, but now, controversial though it is, the fact is that it is on the table and at least some level of recognition that we face a societal challenge that ultimately needs a political solution. In the meantime, we are faced with the struggle to defend what we have, again quantitatively by fighting job losses and qualitatively by transforming unstable jobs into proper stable jobs with dignity and paying decent wages. One of the delegates at the IOF Congress was Francis Hangira of Kenya. Employers will always want to maximize on their profits by exploiting workers, applying low wages, long working hours, contracting most of the services, casual employment, and to crown it all, outsourcing of services. However, the trade union has one idea, and that is most important, to organize workers into the union as this is the only way and means of increasing membership and strengthening the workers. Organizing starts with the members but ends with the employers. Our membership is still intact but spread into casual, contract and outsourced labor force. We must change our approach on recruitment so that we follow up our members wherever they have been employed. IUF affiliates need to network on the new methods of recruitment. Another delegate at the IUF Congress was Avital Shapiro from the Israeli Labor Federation, Histadrut. In the last years, we have faced a constant struggle to improve salaries and working conditions of workers and pensioners. These efforts have yielded many agreements, such as mandatory pension for every worker, raising minimum wage to $1,430, increasing pension contribution to 18% of the workers' wage, improving the wage of food, agriculture, hotel, restaurant, catering, and tobacco workers, encouraging the employment of women, mandating the employment of people with disabilities, and significantly improving the rights of contract workers and their absorption into the workplaces. Domestic as well as multinational companies such as Coca-Cola, Unilever, Philip Morris, Sodesco and Nestle have signed various collective agreements that ensure sustainable job, secure incomes and social protection. One of the most challenging struggles we faced was the right of organization. We fought to achieve a president-setting court ruling which prohibits the employer from interfering in organizing initiative in any way. This ruling was based on international rulings, was received from many members throughout the world. Sisters and brothers, we all share the same struggles and values, and we are looking forward to working together. 
For the first time at a Global Union Congress, there was a special session on the rights of LGBTQI workers. Michelle Kessler from the United Food and Commercial Workers Union in the U.S. and Canada chaired the session. I asked Ms. Kessler what issues the participants at the LGBTQI session focused on. An injury to one is an injury to all. Making sure that you know workers aren't harassed at the workplace, that uh, discrimination issues are addressed in union contracts, that workers feel they can be themselves at the workplace with no fear of reprisal, and certainly the union should be uh, who's uh, enforcing those rights, uh, not only at the workplace, but also extending that into the communities. We need to build a more uh, equal world, and uh, being inclusive in our unions is a key part of that. What has your union, the UFCW, been doing to help LGBTQ workers? We've been focusing on improving our union contracts, uh, letting workers across all workplaces, whether it's on the plant floor, in grocery stores, elsewhere, know that the UFCW is strong on LGBTQ issues. And that's it. International labor news you can use. Reporting from the 27th Congress of the IUF in Geneva, Switzerland, I'm Mark Belanger. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity. Workers Independent News Week in Review. I'm Doug Cunningham. At a Christian Science Monitor Roundtable Wednesday, AFL-CIO President Rich Trumka told reporters that there were racists in Trump's White House. Trumka says some of the racist White House aides actually had some policies on trade and infrastructure that labor could support. But Trumka says labor won't work with racists. Now Trumka says the Wall Street wing is dominating Trump's White House, the opposite of what Trump promised during the campaign. Fast food workers who are not giving up the fight to raise wages sat in at Illinois Governor Bruce Rauner's office when he vetoed a state Senate minimum wage bill that would have taken the state's minimum wage to $15 an hour by 2022. State Chambers of Commerce cheered the news that workers would have to keep suffering at $8.25 an hour. But Melinda Reed sees nothing to cheer about in keeping workers down with poverty wages. I'm praying that it goes up. And I'm praying that Rauner will have a heart change. Tired of working for Mickey Mouse low wages, 38,000 Union Disney World workers began negotiations Monday for living wages. These Disney workers average about $10 an hour now, and the unions want a path to a $15 minimum wage. Ed Chambers is president of UFCW Local 1625 and also heads the Service Trades Council of six unions representing the approximately 38,000 workers. Disney's first offer was not a bad offer. I mean, they came out suggesting 2% for the employees at the top at every level, and during the scale at 2.5%. Our proposal was pretty significant wage increase across the board. International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers Local 701 Auto Mechanics are entering their second month of their strike at 185 Illinois auto dealers. Local 701's Sam Cicinelli says a big issue is auto mechanics' wages getting shortchanged roughly six hours a week. That's because the dealers and automakers have lowered their book times for repairs and the actual repairs take longer to do. We are looking to shorten the gap on approximately six hours that go uncompensated for 
mechanics that are on the clock for 40 hours. Los Angeles, Orange County's Building and Construction Trades Executive Secretary Ron Miller is proud of a program the trades unions are working on that gives career opportunities to former felons leaving the prison system. The Apprentice Boot Camp program graduated its third cohort this week, and the program will continue. A lot of these guys are kids. You know, they went into the penal system when they were kids because they made wrong choices or, you know, they never got the first chance in life to do good. And so they've been in the the jail system for a while and they come out and uh, they're getting their first chance now at a good, solid career in the construction trades. Workers Independent News provided by Diversified Media Enterprises. I'm Doug Cunningham. Little Miles Davis there at the top of the hour. This is the Labor and Love Show, and I'm the B, a.k.a. Bill Morgan, bringing you labor news, opinion, songs of social significance, and resistance every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. to 12 noon. And we're here on uh, Mutiny Radio, your mission district, heart of the mission, 21st in Florida, Art Center. We've got comedy programs. We've got art on the walls. We've got radio. We've got video. Come and rent a space, two hours for 100 bucks. Put on your own. Put on your own event. Mutiny Radio is waiting here. Come in. Join the mutiny. Play some music. We certainly had a lot of talk this morning. And uh, Annie DeFranco in Utah Phillips. Uh-oh. Pardon. My bad. Take two, Annie DeFranco and Utah Phillips. Why come? Miller kept the Senior Citizen Center for a long time up there in Seattle, Washington. Jack had spent most of his life in the forest as a logger or timber beast, they called him in those days, because you were treated like an animal. There were no bunk houses. He recalled 
sleeping on the ground with his fellow workers with their wet clothes from the rainforest piled in the heat next to the fire, hoping that they would be dry by the time to go to work the next day. They spoke many different languages in the forest and they could hardly talk to each other. It was just like Lawrence. He said most of them had never been to school. Uh, most of them couldn't read or write. Jack Miller could remember the Verona. There was a shingle weaver strike up at Everett, Washington. It was called the Everett Massacre. It's another one of those that didn't make it into the history books. The Wobblies, they chartered a steam launch called the Verona. And they had it sailed up there to Everett, bringing strike relief. And as the boat sailed into the pier, Sheriff McRae had ringed the whole pier with armed deputies. He just deputized every drunk in every bar in town and put a rifle in their hand. Well, they surrounded the boat, and when the lord of the gangplank, Sheriff McRae walked to the end of it and said, Who are your leaders here? And they shouted back with one voice, We are all leaders here. Well, that scared the tar out of the law, you know, and they began shooting. Those deputies began shooting. A lot of those wobblies were killed. Some of the deputies were killed in the crossfire, though. So when the wobblies, that those that survived, made it back to Seattle, they were arrested and they were thrown in the Snohomish County Jail on a charge of murder, a whole bunch of them. Well, that, that jail was a, an all-steel jail. It was the newest affair, all made out of steel. It had just barely opened, so the heat wasn't on, and there was no blankets, and you couldn't get any smokes. So those wobblies, they passed a note from one cell block to the other. And then by common consent, the next day, they were all gathered in the middle of each cell block. And when the noon whistle blew, they began to jump up and down simultaneously. Up and down, up and down, singing all the time. And finally they hit the resonating frequency of that jail and cracked the south wall. They broke the jail. And Jack Miller said, thus proving everlastingly what a union is, a way to get things done together that you can't get done alone. Now Jack said, you know, we didn't have any intellectual life. We lived in our emotions. We were passionate people. And we were comfortable in our emotions. We made commitments to struggle emotionally, commitments for which there are no words. But those commitments carried us through 50, 60 years of struggle. He said, you show me people who make the same commitments intellectually, and I don't know where they'll be next week. Kind of stern, isn't it? Well, he said, armed only with our sense of degradation as human beings, we came together and organized and changed the condition of our lives. Now, this is the hard thing, he said. Why can't you young people, with all you've got, do the same thing? Young people.
Joe working man's wife That's how I was defined As if that was my life My hope and my mind But I worked in a bake shop Did the housework at night And there was no time to stop For a young bird in flight Well in time there were babies And I had to make us a home Joe was working two jobs And I was always alone I needed some time And just a little control Just to keep my right mind Just to try to stay whole
the source I think me and this system Got to get a divorce We're talking and moving We're gonna study and learn Build a unity train On a straight arrow line If today is the bosses I know tomorrow is mine
heart for our love Telling us of your God above We gonna chase those crazy Chase those crazy bumpers Chase those crazy ballers All of y'all
We had a set there with uh, <clears throat> starting out with Annie DeFranco and Utah Phillips, one of Utah Phillips' labor stories about how a group of wobblies destroyed a new jail by jumping up and down and uh, chanting. Sounds like something out of the book of uh, Joshua or Moses, huh? Called My Why Come. Then we had Barbara Dane. I hate the capitalist system. And our closing words, I'm a working woman and the future is mine. We got to make that happen. Bob Marley followed with them crazy bald heads. We're going to knock them crazy bald heads out of town. Too bad they didn't do it before this. <laughs> Um, and then the last one we had was about Karen Silkwood a little more about Karen Silkwood uh, later um, looking for a labor leader who was actually a, uh, an environmentalist that, as well okay Air traffic controllers, air traffic privatization hits turbulence. This is on labor notes. Message to the airlines, you can't have it all. Control of the skies and aviation safety is a public service. Privatization of the U.S. air traffic control system, its equipment and the jobs of more than 30,000 workers at the FAA is being debated right now in Congress. Legislation proposed in the House this summer by Republican Representative Bill Schuster of Pennsylvania would put air traffic control in the hands of a corporate band of directors. Here we go. Business model works sometimes and not others. And this is one of the ones that doesn't. The sky is a public utility. So check that one out, air traffic controllers fighting against the privatization of, a, of the sky. Today is the anniversary, the 25th anniversary, I believe, and probably the 28th or the 30th. The Bay Area has been a center of political and social activism for decades. Whether you agree with his politics or not, the story of Brian Wilson, that's with two L's, stands out. We're not talking about either the Giants reliever or the Beach Boys member. Brian Wilson with two L's. Nearly 25 years after a train ran over him, Brian Wilson told CBS, but well, we don't care what, who he told. Um, why it was all worth it. Now he walks today, both his legs were cut off. On September 1st, 1987, Wilson and several other Vietnam veterans were about to begin a hunger strike on the tracks leading out of the Concord Naval Weapons Station to block armed shipments headed for the Contras. 
and President Ronald Reagan's so-called secret war in Nicaragua. The Congress were the Congress passed rules that Reagan could not surmount, could not foment a revolution in Nicaragua by giving aids to aid and pay to a group of mercenaries called the Contras. He did it anyway. And then later he said he didn't remember. He said other people were doing it, but he didn't know about it. We took our position on the tracks, Wilson says. I was sitting on my rump and the other two veterans were crouching on their feet, all three of us between the rails. A videotape remains the only real-time record of what happened. The spotters and engineers aboard the munitions train ignored the screams of more than 40 protesters to stop. The train ran over me, and I mean it ran through us at 17 miles an hour, more than three times the legal speed limit. The other two vets managed to jump away at the last second. Wilson was run over by the 200,000-pound locomotive. That's 100 tons. A crushing blow from the train cut off his legs, left him with multiple broken bones and a plate in his head. Authorities questioned him in the hospital days later, calling him a domestic terrorist. After all these years, Wilson explains why he sat down in front of the train. The answer goes back to his days as a young officer in Vietnam. I saw in one week somewhere between seven and 900 dead Vietnamese. And they were all either mothers, young women, and lots of children, and few elderly people. He was infuriated that the U.S. was inflating the enemy body count by including women and children. Brian Wilson, a guy who gave up his legs to do the right thing. Okay, we've got a labor issue now. Football season is starting this weekend. If you're a fan, uh, you're well aware of the situation created by former 49er quarterback Colin Kaepernick, where uh, Kaepernick refused to stand, took a knee when the national anthem was played, and the reaction was as bad as if he'd run out and uh, shot somebody right in front of, ev of everyone. Well, Aaron Rod, several, several um, pro football players have done the same thing and have expressed support for um, Colin Kaepernick. Most of them are African-American players some unofficial poll, 90% of African-American players believe that there's a problem with police in this country shooting young black men. 90% of the white players think that's not a problem. Anyway, here's Aaron Rodgers, a star quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, one of the best players in the NFL. Says... And so, 
let me continue. Kaepernick has not been signed to a contract for any team, even though he's a good quarterback, not a great one off his record, but he did take his team to the NFL playoffs three years in a row. The NFC playoffs three years in a row and one year to the Super Bowl itself. I think Kaepernick should be on a roster right now, Rogers says in a wide-ranging interview with ESPN published on Wednesday. I think because of this, his protest, he's not. In the interview, Rogers said he would not join the protests, which have continued into the current preseason, but was 100% supportive of players who chose to express their feelings in this way. He added that the U.S. needs to remedy and improve racial equality and that he wanted to improve his own understanding of the subject. I think the best way I can say this is I don't understand what it's like to be in that situation, what it is to be pulled over or profiled or any number of issues that have happened. That Colin was referencing or any of my teammates have talked to me about. But I know it's a real thing my black teammates feel. Rogers was also asked about his college teammate and former New England Patriots lineman Ryan O'Callaghan, who recently came out as gay I'm incredibly proud of him, Rogers said. I know he had a lot of fear about it and how he would be accepted and how people would change around him. I think society is finally moving in the right direction as far as treating all people with respect and love and acceptance and appreciation. In the locker room, I think the sport is getting closer. Okay, Aaron Rodgers expressing his uh, his opinion. Graduate, by the way, of UC Berkeley. Here's some Buffy St. Marie singing. Uh, well, listen up.
A bullet from the back of the bush took Medgar Evers' blood. This one refers us to those people, those neo-Nazis and those white supremacists and those avowed fascists and clanmen. A hand set the spot, upon two eyes took the aim behind a man's brain. But he can't be blamed He's only a pawn in their game A South politician preaches to the poor white man You got more than the blacks don't complain It is plain For the politician's game As he rises to fame And the poor white remains On the caboose of the train But it ain't him to blame He's only a pawn In their game The deputy sheriffs The soldiers The governors get paid He's taught in his school From the start by the rule That the laws are with him To protect his white skin To keep up his hate So he never thinks straight About the shape that he's in But it ain't him to blame He's only a pawn From the poverty shacks, he looks from the cracks to the tracks. And the hoofbeats pound in his brain. He's taught how to walk in a pack, shoot in the back with his fist in a clench, to hang and to lynch. To hide neath the hood To kill with no pain Like a dog on a chain He ain't got no name But it ain't him to blame He's only a pawn In their game Today Medgar Evers Was buried from the bullet he caught He'll see by his grave On the stone that remains Carved next to his name His epitaph plain Only a pawn in their game
Okay, let's uh, wind up our Labor Day show with a song about one of labor's most potent weapons, sung by El Teatro Capesino, El Piquet Sign. One of the most important weapons, instruments in any cause, in any movement, in any strike, is the picket sign. We wrote a song about this, it's in Spanish. We call it El Piquet Sign. Desde Texas a California, campesinos están luchando. Desde Texas a California, campesinos están luchando. Los rancheros a llore y llore, de huelga ya están bien pandos. El Piquet Sign, el Piquet Sign. Lo llevo por todo el día, el piquet sign, el piquet sign, conmigo toda la vida. Ya tenemos más del año peleando con esta huelga, ya tenemos más del año peleando con esta huelga. Un ranchero ya murió y el otro ya así su abuela, el piquet sign, el piquet sign. Lo llevo por todo el día, el piquet sign, el piquet sign, conmigo toda la vida. Un primo que tengo yo, andaba regando diches, un primo que tengo yo, andaba regando diches, un día con pagarulo y otro con sanaba biches, el piquet sign, el piquet sign. Lo llevo por todo el día, el piquet sign, el piquet sign, conmigo toda la vida. Me dicen que soy muy necio, gritón y alborota pueblos. Me dicen que soy muy necio, gritón y alborota pueblos. Pero Juárez fue mi tío y Zapata fue mi suegro, el piquet sign, el piquet sign. Lo llevo por todo el día, el piquet sign, el piquet sign, conmigo toda la vida. Y ahora ando organizando la raza en todos los files, y ahora ando organizando la raza en todos los files, y muchos siguen comiendo tortillas con puros chiles, el piquet sign, el piquet sign. Lo llevo por todo el día, el piquet sign, el piquet sign, conmigo toda la vida. Hay muchos que no comprenden, aunque uno les da consejos. Hay muchos que no comprenden, aunque uno les da consejos. La huelga es un bien para todos, pero uno se hacen pendejos. El piquet sign, el piquet sign. Lo llevo por todo el día, el piquet sign, el piquet sign, conmigo toda la vida, el piquet sign, el piquet sign. Lo llevo por todo el día, el piquet sign, el piquet sign, conmigo toda la vida. Pardon me, Buffy St. Marie singing uh, Joni Mitchell's beautiful little, little song, The Circle Game. Uh, we followed that with Robbie Robinson singing A Pawn in Their Game, referring in the song, in the Bob Dylan song, to the murder of uh, 
Medgar Evers, sheriff, you know, one of the first black sheriffs in a southern county, referring also to those people, those misguided people who go out on the street as Klan, as Nazis, as white supremacists, and try to convince a, us that they're innocent and uh, they just have their own point of view they want to affect. But they're pawns. They're pawns in the game. The ruling class has to find foot soldiers to do its work. They're not going to go out and do it. You won't see any millionaires out there on the street fighting. They always find someone else to do their work. And last, as I pointed out, we had Luis Valdez, the uh, founder of Teatro Campesino and uh, director of several movies, including the masterpiece musical, <clears throat> Zoot Suit, and a biography of uh, Richie Valens. Okay, this is the B, and it's uh, time for us to go. And uh, we'll go out as we always do with Kaori Miraji, the Japanese classical guitarist, and her version of the Internacional. Happy Labor Day, everybody. Enjoy your Monday. Remember, all over the world, every 15 seconds, a worker dies because of work-related causes or work-cause conditions. Celebrate labor's past and carry it into the future. This is the B. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you.
Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Do you need an awesome and underground space for an event? Look no further than MutinyRadio.fm. Our 30-seat flexible space can accommodate your acoustic band, birthday party, comedy show, dance party, karaoke super fun, theater event, fundraiser. If you think it, we can do it. You run the door and promotion, we run the sound, space, and podcast. Rentals available Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10 at Mutiny Radio FM's performance space at 2781 21st Street in the Deep Mission at 21st in Florida. Contact Pam at pamsidai at hotmail.com for more options and booking dates. Incredible socialist prices so you can be creative in a free speech space without breaking the bank. That's Mutiny Radio Rentals every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10. Book your event. Now. Trying to hurt me, but boy, how it burns me whenever she touched me. And oh, I feel so lucky. Want to spend a summer Sunday laughing your cares away? Then come join the fun at San Francisco's Comedy Day. One stage, five hours, 40 comedians, a million laughs, and it's free. Besides our annual celebration of stand-up, did you know that Comedy Day offers workshops that teach Bay Area students how to use humor to resolve conflict? Comedy Day is so serious about ending bullying, it's banning all comedians from using the following phrases. Knee slapping, side splitting, break a leg, bust a gut, knock them dead. Those words hurt. But Comedy Day feels good. It's fun for the whole family. Did I mention it's free? Hey, comedy fans, don't miss the 37th Annual Comedy Day, the original longest-running free outdoor comedy concert in the world. The funny starts at noon on Sunday, September 17th at Sharon Meadow in Golden Gate Park, San Francisco. One stage, five hours, 40 comedians, a million laughs. It's free! (laughs) 
Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. Well, hey there, San Francisco. If you're looking for some delicious late night food, I suggest you mosey on down to Bender's Bar. Inside, you can find counter offer and offering you amazing late night food and snacks. Try the chicken biscuit. It's like your stomach's in a tasty tornado. They have exceptionally great daily ground sustainable burgers with sides of tater tots, grilled asparagus, and delicious zucchini and creamy delicious mac and cheese. You like tacos? They got them. And from the specials, very deep fried fish sandwich to a stoner burger with a donut bun. What are those crazy potheads going to come up with next? Go to the counter offer inside of Brenda's Bar at 800 South Van Ness Avenue, San Francisco. It's located between 19th Street and 20th Street in the Mission District. Open seven nights a week from 5 to 10 p.m. or later. Counter offer, son! Flat black plastic is what you have. Flat black plastic on mutinyradio.fm is what you need. It's what you want. It's what you deserve.
Mm-hmm. <laughs> 